Welcome to Sunburnt Country Music, interviews with Australian country music artists. My name is Sophie and I have been interviewing Australian country music artists for over a decade and I still love it. I love their stories, I love their insights and I love their music. So I hope you enjoy hearing from them on this podcast. Clancy Pye is a singer and songwriter from the central west of New South Wales who has twice been a Toyota Starmaker grand finalist. She released an EP in 2020 and the single Feels Like Home last year. Her latest single is Drink About. Uh, I think she has a fantastic voice, great songs, hopefully more music on the horizon. I'm going to ask her about all of that. Hi, Clancy. Hi. So thank you so much for uh, for having me on. It's a pleasure. And, and I'm so pleased to have the opportunity to talk to you about your music because I, I ha- have been a fan since you started releasing music in the rather inauspicious year of 2020. But I will, <laughs> I will take you back um, a bit before then because I believe you started playing guitar at the age of six. So why was that the instrument you picked up at that age? Yeah, it's. Um, I was really lucky to grow up in um, in quite a musical family, actually. So a, a lot of people probably know my older brother, Mickey Pye, um, who uh, of course plays guitar for for Travis Collins. He won Toyota Starmaker a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, Mickey's four years older than me, and um, we have a sister as well. And uh, we grew up on a farm just outside of Oberon in the central west of New South Wales, and. Um, I guess we were just really fortunate, um, I guess, growing up. Um, we we kind of had music filtering in from both sides of the family. So on my dad's side, um, his father, you know, he had a day job, but he actually was a, a, a fantastic drummer and he played in a number of dance bands uh, around Oberon on the Central West, um, which he did that every weekend. Um, and unfortunately, he actually passed away of cancer a few years before my brother and I were born. But the the greatest um, legacy that he left was he left behind all of his instruments um, to our family. So in the house growing up, we just happened to have a piano, a bass guitar, a bunch of um, guitars, a drum kit, um, which I guess not a lot of other families would have had the luxury of having that lying around the house. Um and then on my mother's side, um, she's one of six children who all grew up playing um, guitar. And wow. uh, and my grandmother, she's now 88, and she um, she plays piano, organ, harmonica, button accordion. And, um, and at the age of 88, she still goes around every week and performs, um, you know, entertains the residents at nursing homes and um, she plays at church on Sundays. She's done that every Sunday for 50 years in Oberon, so... I guess we were just surrounded by um, music growing up and, you know, with guitars lying around the house when we were kind of old enough to wrap our fingers around the, the fretboard, um, my mum would, would show us a couple of chords. Um, and once we started learning a couple of chords, that was really enough to start learning to play songs. So uh, I think just quickly, you know, living out on a farm and, you know, I guess we didn't have our friends just down the road um, to hang out with. So yeah. we spent a lot of time with each other. And, um, yeah, I remember a lot of um, weekends and and times when I was little where we'd listen to cassette tapes and uh, and we'd write the lyrics out and our mum would, would um, listen to it and, and write the chords above the words. And um, soon enough, you know, we, we would just start learning songs and playing together and we had a bit of a family band when we were younger as well. So, uh, yeah, I think, you know, probably because my older brother and sister were playing guitar, I, w- I wanted to be like them. Um mm-hmm. 
yeah, but it was nice to just dabble in lots of instruments as a kid and, and that's probably where, yeah, my love of, of playing music first grew from. Yeah, it sounds like you didn't have much of a choice, but I'm just interested. <laughs> you said your mother wrote out the chords listening to a cassette, so clearly like she could pick by ear what she was listening to. Yeah, and that's that's probably um, how a lot of our family members uh, learnt to play is is just is by ear, and um, and and I guess just playing with one another as well. You know, being able to kind of catch on and and pick what key you know um, someone's playing in to be able to join along. Um, so, you know, for us too, that probably helped to develop our ear a little bit as well. And um, and I, I think it was nice to, you know, quickly when we started actually learning chords and how to strum that, that pretty soon after that we were learning to play songs, you know, two chords, three chords is kind of enough to, to, to start picking songs that we, um, we love to listen to on the radio and, and cassettes growing up. So that probably gave us a bit of an incentive to practice, you know, um, cause you'd kind of have that reward of being able to quickly learn to, um, to play a song and, um, yeah. And I guess, you know, uh, we, we would all, someone needed to sing as well. So <laughs> naturally probably singing came along with that, but, um, yeah, that, that's sort of how we all got, got started. Um, I also love that your grandmother is 88, yet, as you said, she's going around nursing homes. <laughs> <laughs> and it's quite funny. I actually caught up with her the other day and um, and she told me, yeah, I just got home from going and playing for the old people. And I thought, well, if you're 88 <laughs> and you're calling uh, and the residents old people, yeah, I got, got a kick out of that. <laughs> Clearly, yes. Uh, one would imagine that, that going around and performing keeps helps keep her young at heart and young of mind, no doubt. Oh, hundred percent. And actually, um, my grandmother, Nancy is her name, Nancy and Clancy was, uh, yeah, we'd often, um, people get a bit of a kick out of that. Um, but you know, even when I was young, she used to pull me out of school sometimes and, and go and play for the elderly residents for an hour or so during my lunch break at school. So I kind of watched her, um, she just plays music for the joy of play, playing music, um, you know, she actually recorded a just a, a CD to give away to some friends and whatnot last year. And I just thought if you can be in your late 80s recording your first, you know, um, album of covers yeah. and and still playing every week and every single day she gets on the piano and, and plays a harmonica because uh, it, it, it makes her, you know, it's what keeps her going. Music's, um, music is one of the most important things in her life and, and, yeah, the joy that she gets from entertaining people probably rubbed off on, on all of us from a pretty young age. I bet she is great company. She sounds wild. <laughs> yeah, she's certainly, uh, yes, uh, very um, probably quite extroverted in a lot of ways. I think I, I'm, I can almost be a bit the opposite. But, um, yeah, she she loves country music and, you know, she's been up to Tamworth for many, many years and um, still listens to country radio every uh every week so yeah she certainly uh, was probably a big influence on us growing up as well so did you listen to quite a bit of country music growing up yeah it's um we were fortunate uh growing up um we had a lot of influences country music was absolutely um you know really strong my dad was a an interstate truck driver he had his own truck and um you know used to drive interstate to brisbane and melbourne and and he owned pretty much every Slim Dusty cassette tape that uh, he ever put out and could pretty much, um, you know, sing every Slim Dusty lyric. Um, so we certainly grew up on a lot of Slim's music. Um, and as well as that, we, 
actually learnt probably to dance before we even picked up instruments. So um, myself and my siblings, we got into like 50s rock and roll dancing when we were toddlers and and first starting school and we used to go around and, and, um, you know, perform at uh, events um, around sort of Bathurst and Lithgow in the Central West. So we were listening to things like Elvis Presley and Chuck Berry and Jerry Lee Lewis and all those great like 50s rock and roll type of music um and yeah certainly as I got older too and I started discovering artists like um you know Casey Chambers was probably one of the first albums I remember going into Bathurst with my $25 and um (laughs) and that CD you know is is one of my favorite of of all time so Casey was certainly a big influence on me and um and artists like Becky Cole, Adam Harvey, Troy Cassadaly. It was a real golden era, you know, in the, the 90s and early 2000s uh, in terms of like Australian country singer-songwriters. Yeah. And a great time for me, you know, I was learning to play and sing and um, was buying all of those albums. So they were the songs that I was learning to play um, pretty young and, and performing them at country music clubs and um, street festivals and all sorts of things. Um but, yeah, also grew up on a lot of the American country music as well, you know, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, The Chicks, Shania Twain, of course. Um, yeah, so at home we um, just on reflection there would always be music playing, you know, first thing in the morning um, the, the radio would be on and uh, even catching the bus into town we would be listening to, um, you know, commercial radio at the time too. So just sort of um, absorbing uh, all different styles and and uh, having an appreciation for all of it. Yeah, and I'm also just reflecting on the fact that you said you did a lot of dancing uh, when you were young and your grandfather used to play at dances every weekend and it's just making me think, you know, live music was such a feature of, of I think, a lot of life, city and country because those dances used to happen and, and there were musicians playing at them and it often wasn't recorded music. That's exactly right. Yes, I um I get told a lot of stories of you know Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, um, every single weekend, uh, particularly around Oberon where I grew up. There's so many small villages within you know twenty thirty k's of each other, and they've all got an old dance hall, mm-hmm. um, which a lot of them you drive past now, and it is a bit sad because some of them are a bit dilapidated and and neglected. But um, yeah, my, you know my grandfather used to go and play around all of those and um. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the time it wouldn't even be songs that you'd sing along to. It was literally yeah. just, uh, yep, for barn dances, Pride of Errands, uh, yeah. wine dances. Um, yeah, so it uh, certainly would have been an amazing, um, amazing thing to experience. So for you as a as a young dancer um, and doing a lot of that, do you think that that actually helped prepare you to be a performer because you were used to moving your body in certain ways? You know, all of that can sort of get into the muscle memory, I guess. I think so. You probably, like on reflection, um, think about how that probably helped you to learn rhythm and, um, you know, to, to be able to clap on the beat and stamp your feet in time. And I think that probably helped, you know, with strumming your guitar um, and those sorts of things as well. So, uh, absolutely. Yeah. We used to, um, you know, if we weren't line dancing, we were doing rock and rock and roll dancing and, uh, yeah, my siblings, uh, and my parents are much better than me. I was probably a bit, bit young at the time, but you know, no, no enough to sort of fumble my way through still. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you mentioned um, playing at country clubs. So was that when you started performing, although it sounds like in your household, you were probably always performing in a sense in that the stopping was always happening, you're always playing. But your 
your formal performing career did that start in those country music clubs? Yeah, so I remember, um, so Bathurst um, was about, a, it's 45 minutes or so away from Obron, so it's kind of our, our next biggest town. Um, mm-hmm. And so we would go there, uh, it used to be once a month they would host a, a country music club there and that was probably where we first started playing regularly. Um, you know, my dad would jump on the drums. My mum would play bass guitar, I think, at the time. And um, my brother and I and my sister would jump on guitars and take turns in singing. So it probably just gave us something to practice up for. You know, we'd try and learn a new set of songs for um, for each set that we got to play at the country music club. And, um, and yeah, it was always a, a little bit of a challenge just to try and learn something new. But, yeah, I would have been um, in, you know, probably year two or year three around about then when we were doing that pretty regularly and uh, then, you know, started playing a lot of, you know, little pub gigs and um, festivals and and just any kind of community event, I guess, Um, you know, growing up in Oberon, it was only a town of about um, 3,000 people. So uh, there weren't a lot of musicians, so we would often get the call up if something was happening in town and um, with our surname being Pi, I don't early on um I think it was one of my dad's mates we we might have played at his work Christmas party and um they started calling us the party pies so that name kind of stuck with us for quite a few years really good. <laughs> yeah it's, Very it's, probably catchy. Better, it's probably better than what we could have come up with to be honest <laughs> well if you and Mickey ever want to become a duo <laughs> yeah that's right yeah we could always um re reinvigorate that name down the track <laughs> that's gold um but I'm also just thinking uh <clears throat> this is all, all happening while you're a child so you kind of had a kid job on the weekends it sounds like you went to school and you were a musician on working musician on the weekends or even middle of the yeah. week yeah, it sort of happened that way and um, and it was never forced either. Like it was just something that we did like um, to, to as a hobby at home of a weekend, you know, a Saturday afternoon we'd take our instruments down to the shed and sit by the fire and, and just play songs and it, it was just a lot of fun to do that with um, your family and my extended family as well, just really lucky to have lots of other musicians in the family and it, it probably actually quite quickly became a job in a sense for me um you know I was earning a little bit of pocket money as a as a kid in primary school you know doing a few busking gigs and that sort of thing um but when I hit high school so I yeah I would have just turned 12 um and my my brother was four years older than me and um he our school in Oberon finished at year 10 so he, he traveled into Bathurst to do his last two years and it was there you know he was in a class of you know, a hundred boys compared to 10. <laughs> mm. And so he, he, you know, he, he really found his feet there. He met other musicians his age, which we just never had that experience in, in Oberon, I suppose. And, um, you know, he, he was met, uh, made friends with a great drummer and a, and a fantastic bass player who we're still good friends with today. And, um, and we actually formed a, a country rock band, uh, called Stoked. Right. And, um, yeah and so yeah (laughs) yeah we made a banner we got a smoke machine a lighting rig um it was a whole whole thing and we started um yeah it was when I was sort of in year seven every Friday and Saturday night we we booked ourselves up started playing you know between 50 and 100 gigs a year um my god 
That's yeah. a lot. <laughs> yeah. Amongst other things, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and, and I did that all through my high school years. You know, even when my brother um, went away to university, he'd come back home and we'd play gigs together. And um, at the time, I remember, you know, probably the first year or two, you could actually still smoke in, in pubs. Um, so I think the rule quickly changed. But I, I remember coming home from gigs and your throat would be really dry and sore and your clothes would be smoking, uh, uh, reeking of um, cigarette smoke and You'd have spilt beer on your shoes and, you know, I was 12 or 13 years old at the time. Um, but one thing that that really taught me, you know, the six or seven years that we were doing that, um, I guess, you know, it, it was my part-time job. My friends were working at McDonald's and Donut King and mowing lawns and I was just lucky I was able to sing and play guitar and, and earn a bit of pocket money. Um, but one thing it really taught me was, um, I guess, how to entertain a crowd. You know, it's one thing to be able to learn a few songs and and play for um, little sets here and there. But when you've got people up on the floor and you're trying to keep them um, keep them dancing, or um, just being able to read a room and try and respond to that with the with the songs that you're choosing to play, and um, yeah, to be able to um, get through that, you know, three or four hour gig and do it you know, weekend after weekend, um, not just the gig itself, but, you know, um, setting up all the gear, carrying everything in, uh, packing it in the car. Mickey and I would, you know, often have to drive an hour back home to Oberon, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, middle of winter, you know, frosty roads, snow, um, you know, we, yeah, we spent a lot of time together in, uh, in his little, uh, little van back in the day. And, um, yeah, it, an interesting way to grow up. But I think musically those years taught me, um, taught me a lot about music and, and developed my appreciation for, um, performing, whether it was literally to, to one or two people in the bar staff, or if you had a, you know, a full room and it was a really, um, yeah, really happening night to to just have an appreciation for it either way, and to um, to come away just trying to trying to have done the best gig that you could have done was was all I was trying to do back then. Well, there's that book that was written a while ago about or essay, whatever it was, saying it's ten thousand hours doing something to become an expert. I think you and Mickey absolutely <laughs> have more than ascended to expertise level. I was going to say, and we're still not experts. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that's arguable, but it does uh, it does tell me quite a lot about how you developed your singing voice. And so because you have such a great voice and also the songs that were on your self-titled EP were not the songs of someone who had just suddenly decided to start recording music, you know what I mean? So I always like to find out this background around artists because it helps me understand how you arrive at a certain place when you begin recording. So when you started to develop your singing voice, because obviously as a singer there are influences from the music you're listening to, it's a natural inclination to mimic certain singers as you're deciding to sing, but how did you start to develop your own voice? Yeah, and what you said there in in uh, a lot of the artists you're listening to probably start to infiltrate your own um, voice, but Interestingly, like I, I would sing a lot of songs by male singers, female okay. singers, rock songs, country songs, you know. Um, so I probably was singing quite a lot of different um, styles. Um, and to be honest, I've never considered myself the most amazing vocalist, but I, I really love to sing. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, probably the, uh, one thing that's always really stood out to me is the, the voices that come from singer-songwriters 
um, probably in, in some way speak to me a little bit more um, because you know that they're the words, you know, they're singing the words that they've essentially written. Um, and, yeah, that's probably why artists like Casey Chambers and, um, and Becky Cole and uh, the Chicks and, and those sorts of artists that, you know, <clears throat> came from quite a musical background and wrote their own songs um, probably always just sort of stuck out with me a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, it's certainly something that I'm, I'm always trying to develop and to learn to look after my voice a bit more. I think back in the day, you know, you've got no technique, you're just going as hard as you can for three hours, three or four hours, but, you know, you quickly learn that um, you do have to look after it to be mm. able to have some form of longevity. But um, it's in- interesting to hear your voice change over time too. I, I've got a few cassette recordings from when I was a kid and I don't know how my mum didn't cut me off uh, <laughs> and, and let me get up on stage. Yeah, it's a little bit hard to listen to, but, you know, um, to, to be up and giving it a shot, you know, when you're young, I think um, counts for something. <laughs> you're probably your own harshest critic. It is really hard to listen to your own voice, I think. Um, and she, she could obviously hear the potential. Let's put it up. <laughs> and I guess, yeah, it is a bit hard to shut down your daughter, isn't it, when, uh, when she's trying her hardest? <laughs> Well, and again, she would have heard the potential. Now, um, your 2020 EP was self-titled and it contained the song Heaven Can't Wait, which has had almost 300,000 streams on Spotify alone, I saw, and tens of thousands more on social media. Why do you think that song has connected so much with people? Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting. The response I got after that song, I honestly wasn't expecting, um, but... I'd, I'd kind of written songs for, you know, a reasonable amount of time, but I'd, I'd never kind of written anything that I felt compelled to r- record. I was always just wanting to keep working on it until I felt I had um, some songs that, you know, I felt might um, make people feel something and, you know, have a have a message in there to help other people. And this song, um, when I wrote it, it, it actually was um, probably the the kick that I needed to, to go and record an, an EP. I'd... Um, yeah, I think growing up uh, in a small town, you know, I had uh, a lot of um, family friends that we'd unfortunately lost um, way too soon and, and I think anyone that's gone through that experience of losing a loved one um, before their time should have been up, it, it's just something that you never get over. And I was just kind of reflecting on, you know, all of those people um, that, that I knew and, um, you know, just wanted to write something that I guess expressed how I could only imagine their own friends and family feeling. Um, yeah, you know, there's that saying that, you know, only the good die young and and sometimes that's the only explanation that you can give and I wanted to just kind of um, go with that that sort of idea, I guess, and, and put it into a song. Um, just ironically, the day that we recorded that song, um, I got a phone call from my sister that that a family friend of ours had been killed in a truck accident mm-hmm. and um, he left behind, you know, a beautiful wife that we were also friends with growing up and, and four young kids, you know, toddlers and, and in primary school. And it was just one of those things that um, it, it was just ironic that it happened at, at mm-hmm. that time and, and it really... Um, really affected me and and when it came to you know releasing that song as a single I was just really drawn to to make a a music video to go along with it um I guess just to pay tribute to a lot of the people that inspired that song and um 
and to to know that they you know they live on and they're not forgotten and I was really lucky to have a lot of the families um, that that I wrote the song essentially about contribute photos and videos and I worked with uh, Jay Seney of, of Blacklist Productions um, yeah it came out to Oberon and and we filmed and put it all together and um, I think in some ways just having um, those real life images going along with the the lyrics that I'd written probably just elevated that um that story a little bit more and yeah when I released it it's um it honestly had a reaction that I wasn't expecting I think it went to number one on the iTunes country chart and it had about a hundred thousand views that video within the first um three or four days I think it was um and it, it probably just showed me that you know some of those um things that are the hardest to, to say mm-hmm. and to put into songs are probably the things that impact you the most mm-hmm. and um yeah, I've certainly got songs that that when I hear them even to this day, they still make you kind of well up and, and feel something. Um, yeah, you know, if it's got, got a message that sort of pulls at the heartstrings a little bit and, and um, has that realness to it, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Now, um, since that EP, you have, in fact, written at least 150 songs. I was reading uh, during the song club that Sam Hawksley was running over the pandemic, uh, and that that's an extraordinary figure because <laughs> I'm pretty sure it didn't go for 150 weeks, which I don't know, it was one song a week. Uh, but yeah. what was it about that song club that helped you to be so productive? Yeah, it was, honestly, that was probably a real t- turning point with my songwriting. Um, funnily enough, Sam Hawksley, who a lot of people would know Sam from playing guitar in the Star Maker band, and I've been friends with him for a couple of years, and and we were chatting at the Golden Guitars in 2020, actually just before the pandemic hit, and uh, he was telling me about the song club that he'd been involved in in Nashville. Um, basically, it's a group of about 10 writers at a time um, that are connected via an email thread. And um, basically, Sam would send us out a prompt each week, which could have been a word or a phrase, um, just to get us thinking. And the, the only rule of the group is that we had to submit a song by midnight on Thursday every single week or you were out of the group um, or you got one strike and you were out. And that was by no means to be harsh or, you know, to overwhelm you. It was just literally to give you that bit of a forced, mm-hmm. you know, external deadline to work towards and to keep consistent, keep flexing that muscle and keep doing it, you know, there's so many weeks where you don't feel like sitting down to create, that you don't have time to do it. But over that sort of two or three years, I just forced myself every week to make time regardless of what I had going on um, and regardless of if I had 20 minutes or, you know, a whole day to, to sit down and put a bit more um, time into something. But, uh, yeah, I just got in that process of sub- submitting a song every week um, regardless of, of the quality of that. And it it just taught me to um, not roadblock ideas. I think at times I would kind of get partway into a song and stop writing it because I felt it wasn't going anywhere and, you know, you'd get a bit disheartened and not come back to it. But Song Club just made you write that song a week pop it into your hard drive and I was sort of trying to categorise them into terrible, okay, maybe, (laughs) you know. um, (laughs) But, you know, it's amazing that after doing that over a few years and and I ended up with about 150 or so songs to choose from when I decided to to go in and start recording an album, 
um, to go back and listen to all of those songs that uh, you, you, a lot of them I even forgot about and and to think, oh, actually that might have a bit of potential or mm-hmm. to get a second pair of ears as well because I didn't show a lot of these songs to, to many people until we started uh, choosing songs for the album. So, yeah, it's actually um, rewarding in some ways to go back and, and have a listen to what you've created over that time, um, even if no one listens to them. I think it's like anything, the more you do something, the, the, you know, the um, easier that process gets and, and probably the better the quality um, of the songs that you produce naturally get as well. I think uh, you often hear athletes talk about getting into that flow state, you know, when they just feel things come easily and um, that probably applies a bit to songwriting too. The more that you're doing it, things come a little bit easier than if you're only doing it sort of once in a blue moon. Mm-hmm. And that song club certainly has had a huge impact, I think, on Australian country music because Ashley Dallas hit a purple patch because of that song club. And, of course, it brought Felicity Urquhart and Josh Cunningham together. But <laughs> it sounds like you wrote the song Drink About during song club, which is your it's like your latest single. What is the story behind it? Yeah, it's uh, Drink About was a really fun one to write, actually, and, and it came out quite quickly. Um I guess I, you know, I've grown up singing a lot of country drinking songs since I was quite young, and um, they certainly always get a great response from the audience. Um, so yeah, I guess I'd grown up listening to like a lot of Brad Paisley, Toby Keith, of course, um, who you know we sadly passed away just a week or two ago. Um, and so I've always had an appreciation for for those types of songs. Always wanted to put my own spin on a drinking song, and. Um, you know, I think we've all got those friends in life that you, you might only get to see them, you know, every so often. And when you've left it a bit too long between drinks and you finally get a chance to catch up, you know, there's often so much ground to cover, so many things to talk about that you find yourself reaching for literally any form of alcohol you've got to to keep up with that conversation and there's often not near enough to to keep up with everything that you've got to get through so um that was kind of the idea for this song and uh yeah I just wanted to take a kind of light-hearted fun approach to that um and create something that you know hopefully people could sing along to and and dance along to and um and enjoy yeah and it's not a maudlin drinking song at all it is an upbeat song because it is about <laughs> as you said celebrating actually what it really celebrates is connecting with people because the the chorus line is there's a lot to drink about. So Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's it. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of life happens sometimes between catch-ups with, uh, catch with your good mates. So for worse or for better, um, yes, I think there's always a lot of things that we've got to get off our chest. And um, I think we've got to give ourselves permission to let our hair down every so often and, um, and not care too much about how you might feel the next day. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you mentioned an album and this song and Feels Like Home are from the upcoming album. Have you thought about a release date or are you still on the planning stages? Yeah, so my plan this year is I've got a couple of songs that I would like to release as um, as singles this year before I sort of um, dump the, the full album. Um, so there's a couple more songs that I'll be releasing this year and then it'll likely be early next year that we'll, um, we'll release the, the full um, project. And, yeah, it's something I'm looking forward to getting out there. I think every um, song on this album certainly has a very different flavour to it and probably is a bit of a reflection of, um, you know, the, the variety of songs that I was writing over the last couple of years 
and yeah, experimented with lots of different styles. And um, I just really wrote for for the enjoyment of it too. wasn't really thinking um, about anything other than than just trying to write, you know, the, the best song I could. Um, so yeah, I think this is is probably just a reflection of those couple of years and and creatively uh, how inspired I was. Now, a little while ago, you referred to athletes as if you weren't one. You talked about them <laughs> in the third person. You said, I think athletes get into that flow state. Yeah. Matthew, you too are an athlete because you recently <laughs> ran a 22-kilometre event, which suggests <laughs> to me that you must do a fair bit of running because you don't do that from a standing start. So. <laughs> I, I certainly, it's about a once-in-a-year um, effort for me. I'm certainly uh, not a not a seasoned um, athlete, but uh yeah, the, the last couple of years I, um, I've been trying to do sort of a half marathon um, each year as a bit of a fundraiser um, for an organisation called FAST, um, which stands for the, the Foundation of Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics. Um, and I, I have a five-year-old nephew who um, was diagnosed with Angelman Syndrome a couple of years ago. Um, it's quite a quite a rare genetic disorder, so it affects about one in fifteen thousand people, and um, unfortunately, it does leave them with quite severe um, impairments. So most um, people with Angelman syndrome are nonverbal; um, they suffer from epilepsy and um, have a lot of issues with um, movement. So you know, walking and um, coordinating um, their movements, eating, sleeping. Uh, all really affected um so yeah it's just an organization that are really proactive in in supporting medical research into that condition and um yeah i, I just uh, think you know again it, it's probably similar to um the songwriting club in a way is uh small efforts over a long period of time you know add up to to something a bit greater so i i, I just try and um set myself that goal every year of even if it's only raising a couple of hundred or a couple of thousand dollars you know um over over years it's certainly adding up to a a bigger contribution to that organization and um yeah keeps me fit as well um i try and do it towards the tail end of winter in in orange because it's a bit uh bit nasty getting out at six o'clock in the morning to to run in um in july or august in in orange so yeah it gives me something to work towards as well well, there might be some snow or ice on the roads in, at that time of year. <laughs> certainly. I think, uh, yeah, when it uh, gets below minus one degrees, it's certainly a, a little bit harder on your lungs to get out and, and train. So I, I try and save the, the half marathons for, for the warmer months, that's for sure. I would imagine the fitness also helps you with your gig fitness because, of course, I remember hearing a long time ago, singing takes more muscles than running. So oh, is, there you go. Maybe I can give up running. <laughs> <laughs> but on the subject of gigs, will you be playing any gigs in support of this single or are you going to wait till you have the album out? Yeah, so um, we actually uh, did a little bit of a single launch party back in Oberon on the day of um, the release of Drink About, which was really fun. And um, I'm looking forward this year to actually doing a, a few more ticketed shows, um, which I'm, I'm planning for the next couple of months. Um, certainly when it gets to the point of releasing my album, yeah, I'd, I'd love to um, to be able to do a couple of shows in support of, of that as well. Uh, but I'm just really excited to, to have more of my own music, um, to be able to, to travel a bit um, wider with and, and, you know, one thing I love about festivals like Tamworth is you get to meet people from all over the, the country and um, 
yeah, and, and, and slowly sort of widen your fan base that way too. So, yeah, you know, for anyone to have a listen to my songs and, and, and enjoy them and get something out of them is, is the reason I do it. So as much as I can connect with them, um, the better. Well, the song is Drink About. There are more songs coming, as you've said, and an album to look forward to. Um, but it's been so interesting speaking with you. So thank you very much for your time and uh, hope to speak to you again at some point. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a pleasure to talk to you as well. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. Thanks for listening to the Sunburnt Country Music Podcast. For more Australian country music interviews and reviews and other things, go to sunburntcountrymusic.com or to Sunburnt Country Music on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok.